You're listening to the Journey to Impact Fireside Chat Series with Gino Borges, curator of the Poetry of Impact, a platform for supporting the collective inquiry into deep impact. As a part of the Poetry of Impact, the Journey to Impact podcast brings to life the ebb and flow inherent on the path of impact, illuminating the interior journey of the hearts and minds of today's top leaders in impact. Here, you'll hear the intimate stories of those who push forward to overcome self-limitations and societal barriers to co-create a world where one day all people and planet can thrive together. Hi, I'm Gino Borges, curator of the Journey to Impact podcast series. Joining us today is Nicole Sistrom, a climate change advocate and founder of Sutro Energy Group, an authority on climate investing and innovation. Nicole's interest in finding solutions for climate change started when she was a girl visiting Yosemite with her family, which I'm going to be asking more about, and now works closely with entrepreneurs and innovators who are seeking funding and support for climate tech solutions. I have a lot of questions for you about that as well. Uh, welcome, Nicole. Thank you for having me. I'm so, so looking forward to this. Nice. Where are you calling in from today? I am on the shores of beautiful Lake Tahoe in California right now. Nice. Lucky place to be. <laughs> yeah. So this is perhaps for the listeners, this is probably the closest I've ever been to any interviewee because I'm based in Reno, uh, Nevada, which is, <laughs> which is very close to um, Lake Tahoe. So obviously Lake Tahoe is known for its, um, you know, pristine, clear lake and so forth. But I mean, this this, um, you know, I mean, the draw to the mountains, the draw to the trees. And, uh, you know, you just mentioned while, while we were off record that you transitioned from the Bay Area up to Lake Tahoe for this past year during COVID. Yeah. Uh, take us back to that moment where you sort of realized like, wow, you know, I, I need to do more than just explore nature. I need to be occupied with it. Like it needs to be part of what my gift is to the world in terms yeah. of what I do when I get up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am. Um, well, so I grew up in, I actually grew up in Illinois, um, in the suburbs of Chicago. I grew up on Lake Michigan, my town I was up, uh, town I grew up in was on Lake Michigan. And so, you know, like we always had exposure to the lake there and, and some nature, but um, I would say I, I think I first came to understand nature as something that, um, I cared a lot about personally and something that sort of collectively we need to care about was uh, in my visits to Yosemite National Park when I was a little girl with my family. Um, and obviously, you know, for your listeners who've been to Yosemite and, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about when you stand in that in the in Yosemite Valley and you're like kind of looking up the sides of the cavern and it's just like so much bigger and so much more beautiful and so much more inspiring than you thought was possible. Um, and so there was that kind of natural, just kind of wonder, I think that came over me, but, I, but the other part of it is the reason that my family was visiting Yosemite was because of um, my family had a small family foundation and really our major, uh, our major donation every year was to the Yosemite conservancy or the, I think it's called the Yosemite fund, which is the, the um, nonprofit uh, organization that you know is channels a lot of philanthropy into the into the restoration and improvement of the park. Um, so 
it was kind of, you know, both being introduced to the idea of what philanthropy and what it does and what role it plays simultaneously as I think really understanding for the first time, like how big the planet is, and how big nature is. And, um, and that, you know, that's kind of, I think where everything stems from those, those, those couple of visits. Hmm. And then what does this, um, is the Sutro group, first of all, I'm interested in the name. Yes. Um, and why, and why that name? Is it an outgrowth of what you've been seeing in the world as um, having growing up with a nature connection, but then obviously going through a lot of cultural institutions as well? Um, I mean, you went to Stanford, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, you get sort of caught up in the institutional format and you get caught up in the philanthropic world. And all of a sudden you're sort of like, all of a sudden you start leaving, you know, it's very easy to leave sort of the nature connection once one's mind starts getting gobbled up by institutional livelihood. Yeah. Was there a moment where you realize like, wow, okay. So here, here I am at a certain point in my life where I want to reestablish that connection, given what I know about sort of cultural institutions and the direction I want to go into. And then also where I would hope other cultural institutions would go as well. Yeah. So I would say the name comes from, um, a, a, a San Francisco philanthropist of old, right? So it's I, I, you know, when I don't live in the in Tahoe, I live down in the Bay Area, and and so it was kind of like a place name, and I had to name my company. But so it's sort of it's a bit of a red herring. Um, but but I would say the reason that I founded it was I found myself um, at that point in my career. I don't know five six years ago. Oh gosh, longer than that at this point. Um, I, when I looked back on my career, I have this sort of collection of experiences and skills and interests all pointed at climate, but, you know, I've worked on the nonprofit side. I've worked in for-profit settings. I've, um, you know, been interested in the role of policy, but also believe very fervently in the role of the private sector to address kind of, well, the climate issue specifically, that is the thing that has sort of animated me. Um, and, and the reason I, I would say I founded Sutro is because I, you know, I was like, what job do I want? And I was looking around and I couldn't really find a job that I wanted. And so founding Sutro was a way for me to sort of, I think, lay claim to that and sort of build the job that I wanted and um, celebrate that interdisciplinary background that I have and sort of the range of interests that I have um, without, and, you know, I was, I'm fortunate enough to, you know, to have, to have that privilege that I could do something like that and, you know, still meet my needs. Um, but, uh, you know, you asked about reconnecting with nature. I mean, I would say, I I feel, I feel blessed in that. I, I don't think I really ever lost that connection to nature. I will say that my, um, you know, in some ways I went to Stanford as an undergraduate and uh, that was kind of where my path, you know, towards climate, towards having my, you know, addressing climate be my life's work was really solidified through my education there and and all of the opportunities that my major and the program and the, and the people who I met there um, afforded me to, to connect with nature and, and sort of, and at that time, 
become thoroughly indoctrinated in how climate change was sort of like the unifying issue that was, you know, going to affect everything that I was interested in. Um, I will say I, and I still obviously feel very connected to nature and like so many people find it to be, uh, spending time in nature to be, um, rejuvenating and so important for just being a healthy human since the, you know, I would say now though, that the reason that I work on climate change is, is less about preserving nature. I mean, it's still, that's still an obvious motivation and more now about people <laughs> and, um, you know, people in general. And also, you know, we were talking offline, like I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old now. And so there's sort of people in the general sense, but then it's also like these little people who literally came through my body. And I, you know, I obviously have a strong connection to and love for and responsibility towards. Um, and that that's really, that's really, I think the driving motivation for me now working on this stuff, it's less about preserving the Sierras for the sake of preserving the Sierras, which I think is worthwhile. And, but um, I, I think the dominant, force in my life is is thinking about how do we build a safe how can people be safe in their homes with the with the access to the things they need to be healthy people and you know children to grow up well and all those things well i mean let's flesh that out a little bit more in terms of the the motive the evolving motive around your interest in climate is about people so yeah. mo- so most people may not make that connection around climate yeah. Um, and the climate discussion. Let's flesh that out a little bit more. I understand the acceleration of the motivation given that you have a three-year-old and one-year-old, but I mean, sure. what does it look like to be at the intersection of climate and, and people essentially, yeah. or an emphasis on people? Well, I think it's people who care about climate and there are people who have been working on climate for decades, like, you know, <laughs> Many, many, many more decades than me. Um, a long for a long time, I, the story around climate. You know, people think about polar bears, and right, it's some, some something far away. And isn't it sad that polar bears don't have ice? And and that doesn't really um, motivate folks when really the. The whole reason we care about climate change is the fact that it has profound implications for people now. Like it's not in the future. It's for people who are living now and how they live their life, where they live, what systems can they depend on, how you know how healthy is their environment, um, and and I think. To me, this feels like it's a really critical reframing, which I know I'm not the only one who is starting to emphasize this more, but the, the, the framing of climate change is an issue that's happening to our grandchildren, you know, in some poor country somewhere on the other side of the planet. And like, isn't that sad? Shouldn't we do something about it? That actually, what has history shown us? That doesn't actually get anyone to do anything about the problem. And and, you know, unfortunately, I think we've crossed 
a boundary in the past couple of years here where more and more and more people are understanding that the, the issues that they're facing in their lives, the forces in their communities are because of climate change right now. It's not something in the future. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, you're in Reno, right? Like I <laughs> lived, there was a month here this summer when I couldn't go outside yeah. and I live in California, like, you know, beacon of the planet and so wonderful and safe and great, regulated, healthy, like all the things. And we couldn't go outside. My children couldn't go outside. We could barely, you know, is uncomfortable in our house. And I know you, some of that smoke we yeah. <laughs> blew over your way. Um, that is, that's a feature of life now here in this state and um, the flooding in the Midwest. Huge. The, all of the, you know, this hurricane season, they ran out of named hurricanes because there were so many hurricanes. <laughs> They literally had to go to the Greek alphabet to name storms, which is like, they almost never do that. Um, all this to say that I, you know, it's kind of sad that it's gotten to this point, right. That, that I can say that like, okay, well, I guess August is the fire month now here, you know, in the mountains. Um, and I, we have to accept that as reality, but on the other hand, I think it's really, I'm hopeful that it can, I mean, it's certainly, you know, to extend the fire metaphor, I lit a fire under my butt to keep working on this because it's not, it's, it feels very personal to me now. It's not about, you know, polar bears or mountains or, or, you know, the right of fish to live in whatever coral reef. Like it's about me in my house, being able to breathe clean air. Like that's pretty, pretty immediate. Right. My kids too. Like. So it's, um, in some ways it's, you know, you asked, what is it like working at this intersection of kind of climate and people, uh, you know, on, on, in, from one frame of mind, it feels discouraging that this is where we're at. And from another frame of mind, I feel like this is the moment now when we're all going to decide to pitch in and get this done because we, we can. I think we can. I think there's a lot of evidence to show that we we can and we will, but it it requires that everyone, you know, myself, most, you know, most of all, perhaps, like, or I would say I feel it personally, like it requires that we that we, you know, pitch in and do this work in whatever way we can. It's not someone else isn't gonna solve this problem. It's it requires so many, so many different people from so many different institutions and walks of life and countries and and we have to we have to focus on it, make it happen. So how? I mean, well, um, I want to explore two two things here. So that also resonates with me. I did. We obviously received a lot of the uh, smoke that was happening in California, or that yeah. was uh, originating in California. Yeah. And my three year old son what, had his face pressed against the window and unable to go outside on days that we normally would have been able to go outside. Yeah. Um, and I was born to be outside. Like the max that I can be inside a building is about two hours before I have to go for a walk. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it also struck me as well to do a deeper dive in terms of what my contribution is as well. And um, I'm curious about what you have sort of 
evolved into in terms of where you think your strengths are in terms of the potential answers? You obviously can't do everything, right? I mean, sure. one person can do ecological registration or uh, registration, restoration, yeah. um, and then uh, and also do climate tech and then also do green policy. Um, you know, I mean, there's a thousand ways to enter this space. Yeah. But, 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 but when, when it comes down to Nicole, mm-hmm. I mean, what, at what intersection of all of those issues is easy for you to get out of bed? In fact, it's, it actually compels you to get out of bed to actually be at a particular intersection in terms of how you're answering the call beyond just people. But I mean, like, how are you answering that call yeah, yeah, yeah. about people? I, um, I, I can, I think I, you know, my special skill, I consider myself a messenger. I consider myself an advocate. I mean, you know, my. What's that look like though? I mean, sort of um, paint a picture for us of what like you're currently doing as an advocate, as a messenger. Yeah. So what I'm doing is, um, I, this is going to sound intentionally vague and I'll, I promise I'll unpack it. <laughs> what, what I'm trying to do is get more resources into climate positive stuff. And I, that's intentionally vague because yes, that's vague. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think it covers a lot of things. I mean, I'm trying to um, articulate uh, like the, the way like a holistic approach to addressing climate change as an individual, right? So say like, yeah, if you're a green policy expert, like go be a legislator, great. If you're a scientist, go do that work. That's very clear, like need a lot of training, very specific roles and vital um, vital roles. But for like the vast majority of people out there who don't have specific climate training, um, I think often the barrier to entry well, take it out of even individuals, organizations, even companies, right? Um, the vast majority of uh, people and organizations on the planet don't have to do with climate change per se, right? Their main work is about something else. Like, And what I'm trying to do is articulate ways for everyone to, um, everyone and, you know, every sort of organization to sort of reframe what are you doing on climate because there are levers you can pull. And, you know, I'd say that's the sort of loud, that's the top line message that I'm, I try and get across when I, when I talk with folks in terms of specifically what my work looks like. A lot of it is I, people are connected to me through um, my network or referred to me by old clients. And, and often the conversation is something along the lines of like, oh my gosh, climate, it's such a big deal. What do I do? Question mark, silence. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> and yeah. that's kind of the level at which people, people are activated, but they don't know what to do when I often, when I is, is often when I kind of start to interface with with folks and are my, to, are you able to take us through an example of what somebody that came to you and then sort of how you walk them through? I'm so curious on like how yeah. you get them from A to Z. So um, like, say, you know, like an individual will come to me, a person, you know, a wealthy person will get referred to me and maybe they're coming at it from a philanthropist angle, right? Like I do, I do a lot of philanthropy and um, 
but wow, climate, this is a big issue. Like, what can I do? And so the first things that I, that I try and do with that person or, you know, that organization is have a conversation about, well, why do you care about climate? Also, climate is a huge label for 47 other million issues. Like, do you mean climate in sense of land conservation? Do you mean climate and that you care about clean energy? Do you mean climate and that you care about, um, you know, public health aspects of this? And so I try and help people uh, articulate more specifically what they mean by air quotes climate. And then the other thing that I try to do is help orient people to the different tools that they have you know, people and organizations to the different tools they have to, to affect climate. Because often I think we fall into sort of a siloing mindset of like, I'm a philanthropist and I'm going to do philanthropy on this issue. And by that, I mean, I'm giving grant money away. And my question back to them is, well, do you have investment capital to put on the table? Well, are you willing to get involved in politics, you know, political giving? Well, are you willing to, uh, you know, whatever board you serve on, are you willing to ask this question of that organization that you work with? Are you willing to be public? Are you willing to talk to your peers about it? Um, you know, I, I'm just trying to sort of lay out and help people understand that there's lots of different things they can do. And for, and the, really the first step is understanding is doing some internal work on their own, which is like, well, what am I willing to start with or what feels, what feels right. And what else, what else can I bring to the table? Um, you know, there's climate is, is a very, um, it's a pervasive problem and it's it doesn't respond to just one solution so i i i guess maybe another way to say it is i'm trying to disabuse people of that notion that like just philanthropy is going to do it right or just political giving um and but help you you, so you you touched on this idea of when i originally asked you you touched on moving capital into um in, into um, climate responses is there any particular reason why you believe capital is the necessary resource to move? Is it because part of your background or what you studied or what you're involved in? Um, sort of take us back to, because not everybody believes that it's merely a capital situation. I yeah. do, yeah, um, because primarily that's my world. Yeah. But I can also be open to people who aren't in this world who completely see it completely different and say, yeah. like, no, it's X, Y, Z that actually needs to be funneled into climate. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I guess I should just state at the outset, like I take as fixed, like we have like capitalism, like a current market, the, the global market economy, like I sort of take that as fixed. Like I don't, I'm not trying to, 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 to redo that. So that, so then that begs the question of like, where's your money going and what is it doing? Mm -hmm. And, um, and I wouldn't, I would never argue that, capital alone is the solution to this issue, but there you have to understand, like, I am very appreciative of the linkage between like good policy leads to, you know, actions in the private market, 
right? And further, private action market, the private market action leads policy and provides cover for policymakers to write that policy, right? And to make it more sort of climate forward. And so there's really like a feedback, I think there's a feedback loop here. And where I think the, the, the loop gets sort of broken is when anyone actor thinks like, well, I'm waiting for you to do your part. Like everyone's sort of got to push the ball forward the way they can. And I think um, thinking about capital, thinking about investments and like where that money is sitting and what it's doing and the signals it's sending, like that's a huge um, untapped resource that so many people don't think about. And I don't, I, I don't think we're at, we're really at a point where it's like easy to just snap your fingers and like move your portfolio into a, move your investment portfolio into like a, you know, a climate aligned or, you know, 1.5 degree aligned portfolio. Like we don't have that technology yet. We don't have the data. We don't have the systems. Um, but I, I think, <laughs> I mean, I know there are lots of people out there who would like to do that and, yeah. but, and they can't do it. Um, and you know, I mean, the, the honest truth is like capital is like, it's so important to getting anything done is who's going to pay for it and what they're going to make off of it. Right. And there are a whole bunch of technologies out there that we are, that are ready to deploy or deploy faster. And like, that's a sort of. So, so, so when I hear you and, and, when I hear you, and if I came to you, one of my first questions be would be as Nicole, what are you doing in your own life to yeah. facilitate what you are showing me to do, or you know, asking me to consider? So, can you sort of give us some sort of clear examples of how your your life, your portfolio, your your time is spent? Uh, yeah. with specific examples of how you look looked and changed your life through a climate lens? Yeah. So I would say um, in terms of philanthropy, I mean, that most of the philanthropy that, that I do is around climate and is um, specifically targeted there because I think that's, you know, my personal choice is like, if we don't solve climate, then all of the other philanthropy issues out there, like don't really matter. Mm-hmm. Um so that's one thing in terms of my investment portfolio. Um, I, you know, with my wealth managers, I've been going through the exercise for a while now of aligning the various asset classes in my portfolio towards climate and sort of doing the work about what kind of investment products are available out there and and trying to understand the level of data that we have about their effectiveness and then making, making the decisions there and um, sort of voting with my dollars in that way. And like, and you know, that to really do that across an entire portfolio from public equities all the way, you know, from soup to nuts is like, it's not um, a small problem or I guess small task. Um, so navigating that complexity there uh, in terms of political giving, this is a year where I have really stepped hard into um, fundraising, and I, I'm a uh, I'm a member of a group called Climate Leaders for Biden, which was a group of political donors that came together to support President Biden 
specifically because of his climate policy and and a, and and a sort of driving force of that effort was to organize as a group to show on mass like here's a group of political donors that climate is the thing that matters to us and and I think you know we're not the only uh, group that you know did we're not the only group that sort of voted for climate this election. I mean, I think it's a sort of remarkable election that way, but you know, there's that piece. Um, and then in terms of, I'm on several boards right now that are all focused on various pieces of the climate puzzle um, from the Energy Foundation, which is uh, energy and climate philanthropy to uh, Prime Coalition and Activate, which are two organizations um, working on various ways on really early stage innovation and how to support those innovators and point it at climate uh, relevant technologies. Um, and then also I'm about to, or currently I'm not sure, I'm, I'm about to step on the board of Energy Action Fund, which is a 501c4 organization that is also focused on um, energy and climate uh, C4 work political organizing work. Um, so yeah, trying to, trying to figure out. And then, and then the other thing I do a lot of my time is like writing articles, you know, speaking, like trying to spread this message to folks that if they want to do climate work, like not only can they, but there are resources out there to help them. I mean, there's the work I do. A lot of the work I do is trying to hook people up with the organizations and resources that are already out there to help them move them forward because there's a lot and it doesn't, doesn't do anyone any favors to reinvent the wheel here. We just really don't have the time. So. <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever bump into, uh, you know, I mean, you talked about the philanthropy, you talked about the investing, you talked about the political given, you talked about the nonprofits. Is there any point where all of this sort of feels a little bit, overwhelming to the point where I don't know about you, but sometimes I get the feeling like when I'm trying to tackle so much that uh, I feel unmoved to tackle anything at times. And so like there's sort of this really blase feeling that comes in because it, yeah. Yeah, because I can't discern really what matters uh, to some extent, or maybe I've lost, uh, I've lost the, my, my inner compass, you know, to some extent. So I'm really interested in how you sort of navigate staying true to who Nicole feels like she is and checking in on her inner somatic state. Yeah. And how does that sort of govern how you, how you manage these in the secular world, they're silos, but for you, it's all just sort of one world that just yeah. has some buckets, but for you, yeah. they impact you as a, as a unified front. In, yes. In yes. Well, I can answer that. Oh, I guess I'll answer. And so there's a, so I take the meaning of your question as like, I'm doing lots of different discrete things and doesn't that feel overwhelming? I, I experience that problem actually mostly just in the face of climate in general, in that it's such, <laughs> you know, if you're not well rested and you're not feeling positive, it definitely is like, what the heck? Like, this is so big and so consequential. And I'm a tiny, I'm one tiny person. Like, what is the point? Um, uh, that's really the place I experience that sort of paralyzed paralysis um, most. Uh, 
I, and I guess in some ways, the fact that I am doing so many different things is, is part of the thing that sort of pulls me out of that funk, right? Because it's not, I'm not just banging on the one drum, right? Like there's, I'm like, okay, well, I could only move the philanthropy ball forward this far today. Like, so I'm going to investment. Let's do that. Great. Let's do that. Let's, let's work on that. And like, so in some ways, like the variety is a part of, is, is helping me sort of have a, a sort of healthier aspect to it. But I do think, I mean, it's an issue I've been thinking about a lot, especially I think I, you know, so many people I'm sure, you know, having lived at home for a year because of this pandemic, like it is definitely like a sort of echo chamber of your own thoughts. I'm like, what is this? And sure. <laughs> am I doing the right thing? Like, is this a worth it? Am I actually having an impact? I mean, it feels like I'm literally just like sitting behind a computer all the time. Like, and yet things are supposedly still happening. I'm sort of like that sort of like causal chain is feels a little broken. Um, but anyway, that's, that's a long way of me saying, I, I think the thing that I've been reflecting on really recently is, is how do you continue, how does anyone doing climate work do it, continue to do it in a way that allows them to continue to do it perpetually, right? Because it's, it can be so draining and feeling like, you know, pushing that rock up a hill, right? And um it takes like, I think just acknowledging that fact and that that is an issue that I've been sort of grappling with is, is, is helpful. It's been helpful for me to just kind of name that um, because then I can start to think about what is the, what is the thread that pulls me through? Like, how, how do I get to do this work? I mean, one of the things is that I said is like the variety of activities that I am lucky enough to be able to work on. And, and, and then another one is all the people, like the people who do the other people who do this work yeah. um, are so wonderful. And like, you know, we're all kind of looking around at each other, like, okay, let's talk about our kids or something happy. So that, you know, sort of take the edge off this existential crisis we're facing for a moment. And then, you know, it's just, I think it's, it's in some ways it's, it's really the place where I found my community. Mm. Right. It was like, this is in like these modern times, like, you know, I live in a city. I don't really know, you know, until the past couple of really until we had kids and like, we were out on the street more, like we didn't really know our neighbors at all. Right. Like you just like my community was, well, you know, to be quite frankly, I've, to be quite frank, I've, I've felt a lack of community in my life for many years. And, and, and the climate work, I think is probably the place I can point to the most where I'm like, you know, I was on a call this morning with one organization and then I joined, you know, I flipped to another organization and like two colleagues from that organization were on that call too. So it's just like, you know, it's not, in some ways it feels like it's not that big a community. It feels like my people. And, um, I mean, they they are the people I refer to as my people. <laughs> I don't have, uh, so I, you know, I think that's a, that's a major way to a motivator and sort of mood lifters Like these are the people I get to work with. And, um, you know, I'm lucky enough to have, to be able to work with great people that I really respect and admire and 
that kind of light me up, help me get out of bed in the morning to do this work because I get to see them as part of the reward. So, mm. Well, I want to end on that note about um, that discovery around you finding your tribe in climate. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's, um, you know, the, you know, the inner Nicole's essence, uh, mm-hmm. sort of really sharing yourself. And yeah. uh, I too have struggled to belong um, as well. There's a sort of a Holden Caulfield, you know, catcher in the rye feeling in me um, <laughs> even my, in my adult life. Yeah. And so to find the tribe is um, whenever you hear people say, I found my tribe, I understand that feeling. Yeah. Um, uh, and so thank you so much. Um, thanks for doing the work that you're doing, connecting the dots in this, um, you know, and it is our time. It, it, it really is our time for, yeah. for sure. And yeah. AC, AC, and I love how frank you were about personalizing it right up front. And saying, you know, it's like I had to dig deep after realizing that fires were going to be a feature of uh, of life where I live. And it's like, that's that's not an option for me. And I want to make sure that I, you know, contribute to the best way I can yeah, yeah. Uh, for this. And it is amazing how having children will accelerate that cause for sure, right? Oh, yeah. Yes, very things become very stark very quickly. I found when you have kids. Yeah, <laughs> the choices are clear. <laughs> Thank you, Nicole. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Journey to Impact. If you enjoyed this episode, help us spread the word by subscribing to this series on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends on your favorite social media platform. For a preview of our previous or upcoming episodes, visit www.poetryofimpact.com.